Turn it up. Turn it up. Crank it, baby. We should have got a disco ball, shouldn't we? We are family. I got all my brothers and sisters with me. There we go. I didn't do the whole song. (laughs) I even found the original 1979 video. So, on that note, good morning again, fam. You know what? I am so grateful to be your pastor. I, I thank God that he, he saved me in this church. He called me to pastor this church. I, I thank God every day for that because I'm honored that he would use somebody like me, for one. And that uh, I feel loved in this church. I feel accepted in this church. And I want you to feel the same acceptance among each other, and from me. Uh, So today, we're starting a sermon series called, We Are Family. Because that's what we are. This church here is a family. Inside a big family. See, this is our our small family. And then we have extended family outside of this Church, meaning in, in, in our Christian life, this is our family. This is our home. And then, but, but we also have extended family all around the world. All the other believers in the world are part of our family. But we're going to be talking about our local family, which is, is this family right here. So we're going to be talking church for the next three weeks. So I want you to understand what a church is and why it is a good and biblical idea to belong to one. To belong to one. Not just hang out on Sundays, but actually belong. Because you can, you can join and be a member of a church and still not really belong. To that church. You don't participate with that church. You see, so today I'm going to start in, in 1 Corinthians 12 and take a look at how Paul is comparing the church to the actual physical body. So if you want to follow along in the Pew Bibles, it's page 902 where Jackie started. And... Uh, all the text is going to come off of that page. So we're going to do nine. We're going to do uh, summer twelve, and we're going to do chapter thirteen. But so going to, I'm I'm going to use uh, this body metaphor as my teaching point to teach the benefits of being part of this body. See, a church family provides a team to work with. A team. When you're a part of a family, 
That's how even family dynamics should work, by the way, at home. You should be a team. If you're young and together, it's just two usually in the team. And then through your life, you get a bigger team. And then it goes kind of bigger and bigger and bigger because your team gets bigger and bigger and bigger. But that is what our church is supposed to do. We're supposed to be a team. See, as a Christian, you're not supposed to be a lone ranger. These people that say, I believe in God, but I don't need the church. They haven't read the Bible for one. Because every believer needs other believers. For many reasons. Who's going to hold me accountable if I don't have other believers in my life? Who's going to support me when I'm down? Who's going to, who am I going to look for to build up? If I'm, I'm, I'm doing this all by myself on a desert island. That's not what, what Jesus wants for the church. Jesus wants us to be a family. You see, we need a team around us to support us. A team is a unit working together. See, Paul compares the church to a body. Some members are arms, some members are legs, some members are the hearts, some members are the kidneys. All of them we need to function A church family provides a unit that we can work with to make us stronger. I'm not going to grow without you. You're not going to grow without all of us. That's how you grow with other people. Because they water you and they prune you as you go through life. They help you grow. And by the way, you can, you can grow by hanging around with people that are not as mature in the walk as you, because they can teach you something too. That they can teach you to remember what it was like when you first became a Christian and you didn't just sit there doing nothing. Because when you first get saved, you're excited. You can't stop talking about Jesus. So much so that your wife says, Is that all you could talk about? And, and, and says, hey, how come every subject goes back to Jesus? Because I believe every subject is about Jesus. But that's the passion you have when you first get saved. And you, the, the more you've been a Christian, sadly, the more you've forgotten what it was like when you first met Jesus. When you were lost. So it's good to have so-called baby Christians around. It's also good to have mature Christians around. People that are strong in their faith. People that have walked with Jesus for a very, very long time. Like Dale. He almost walked with Jesus. And on that point, by the way, 
Mark your calendar for Sunday the 29th at 2 o'clock, I think it is, because we're going to celebrate at the church Dale's 90th birthday. So you're going to be there or you're square. Because it, it, it's a couple hours after church, a few hours after church. We're going we're gonna to have church service. We're going to tear down the sanctuary. We're going to put all the tables in. And we're going to celebrate Dale turning 90. So you should be there. If Dale has impacted your life in any way, you should mark your calendar for that day. The Sunday, the 29th. So, talking about team, here's an here's a acronym for you that you can write down to remember what being a part of a team means. So, T is for together, because you can't have a team without more than one person, right? The E is for each. The A is for accomplishers. And the M is for more. Because with a team, each accomplishes more. Together, each accomplishes more. So remember that. Together, we will accomplish more. Together, because that's what it means to be part of a, a church. You know, in what the news called the miracle of Q Creek, nine miners, nine miners were trapped for three days, 240 feet underground in a water-filled mine shaft. They decided... From the get-go. They were going to either die together. Or they were going to live together. So. The water was 55 degrees Fahrenheit. That's pretty cold. For three days. Right. So. The water water threatened to kill them slowly by hypothermia. So according to one news reporter. When one would get cold, the other eight would huddle around that person and warm that person. And, and when another person got cold, the favor was returned. This was a comment by Harry Mayhew, who told reporters, everybody had strong moments. But at any certain time, maybe one guy got down and then the rest pulled together. And then, and then that guy would get back up and maybe someone else would feel a little weaker. But it was a team effort. That's the only way it could have been. They faced incredible hostile conditions together and they all came out alive together. That is the picture of the body of Christ. That's how the the body of Christ is supposed to work. You see, that's why we need to belong to a church. Because I don't know about you, 
but sometimes life sucks. And, and, and you know, that's why, that's why it's so bad when you walk into, to, especially church, this really bugs me, by the way, at church, because everybody you ask how they're doing, I'm good, I'm fine. No, you're not. Not everybody in this room can be good today. You know? At least one of us has something going on that's not good. At least one of us says, you know, I'm having a real crappy day today. You know, I don't know why we think that how you're doing. How you're doing in the world, you can answer however you want. But when you're at church, you should say, look, I'm having a really crappy day. You know what happened to me today? X, Y, Z. You name it. I was going to tell a story, but I better not. (laughs) But everybody has crappy days. Every one of us. And this should be a safe place, because we're a team, that we're going to come alongside you and and encourage you and build you up because that's what this place is supposed to be a place where you can feel a part of a family a part of a team see a a team requires dependable dependability in its members doesn't it you, it needs it needs to be dependable paul Paul compares the church to the body, remember? What happens when some part of the body does not function? If you've got a part of the body, if your kidney's not functioning right, it causes other problems. Okay? You don't just have kidney problems. I had a bad toe. Toe caused problems throughout my whole leg. One toe. My little toe too, it's not even a big one. I actually asked my doctor to cut it off because it's so small. But she said, you can't do that. And I'm like, why not? And I said, because if you cut it off, I don't have no pain because I don't have no toe. (laughs) She goes, it doesn't work like that. But anyway, anyway, after hindsight, it's not a good idea because we fixed the problem. It took a while, but it got fixed. But it caused more problems throughout my whole leg. And then it it also caused problems that I didn't know I had. Because that's when I started feeling my hip hurting from my toe. Because I'd compensate for my toe and then put all the strain on my hip. Because that's what you do if all your body parts aren't working. You compensate. That's why we're supposed to work together. Because... We're not all gifted the same. We don't have the same talents. Some have more than others. But we need to use the talents that we have. See, so I want to ask you a few questions on dependability. If your car car starts one time out of three, would you consider it dependable? No. If you, if you fail to come to work two or three times a month, 
Would your boss call you a dependable worker? Absolutely not. If your refrigerator quits for a day now and then, do you excuse it and say, hey, but it works most of the time? If your water heater greets you every now and again, I had the pleasure of this the other day, with cold water, it's not dependable anymore. See, if you missed a couple of mortgage payments a year, your bank's not going to go, hey, 10 out of 12 is good. No, that ain't too bad. See, we as people expect faithfulness and dependability in our lives. To me, this is the most important part of your life, by the way. Belonging to a church and being a Christian and belonging to a church is the most important thing that you could ever do for your life because it's going to help you, not hinder you. So we, as Christians, should be dependable people. We should be faithful people. So when this summer says, hey, we're going to have a work day, we should want to help out. Because this is our church building. We're the church. Because if this building burnt down today, we're still the church. We're still Calvary Memorial without this building. This building is just a building that God's allowing us to use right now and has blessed us with. But there's churches around the world that meet under a tree every Sunday. There's still a church. The tree doesn't make them a church. The people make churches. So we should be dependable. We should, we should want to be a part of family and want to be involved in the family. When, the, when, when there's stuff going on, you should want to attend if at all possible. You should want to hang out. See, this should all be all so true about the church. You see, many people want to attend church, but they don't want the demands of church. They want to show up on Sunday and pay their hell insurance because that's what they're doing. They're going, oh, I paid my car insurance. I paid my house insurance. On Sunday, I'm going to go pay my hell insurance by hanging out at church for an hour and a half. Unless you come here, then it's out in 45 minutes. But, so our premium's a little higher than everybody else's. But, that's what you're doing. If you're only coming to church on Sunday, that is what you're doing. You're just going, nah, got that off my list for the week. I went, went to church on Sunday. I don't have to go until next Sunday. I can walk out them doors and act however I want be whoever I want, do whatever I want, but I, I went to church, I'm good. That's a problem. And it's not just a problem in this church, it's a problem in every single church in America and in the world. See, the Bible teaches that we have gifts and abilities and passions 
that other people need from us. I can't do it all. Andrew can't do it all. John can't do it all. We all have to do it together. We all have to do it together. We are part of a family. This is what I want to drive home in this church. That a church is supposed to be a family. Families work together. We use our gifts for each other and to pick up God's name and lift it up high. We share the workload. We share the responsibilities. See, a church family gives me and you a place to belong. That me in there is when you, me is you. It gives you a place to belong. When you join a church, you belong to something. Something that's way bigger, way bigger than you can even imagine. See, in the vision, in, in, in the vision for this church, this church here, in, in, in the vision that I believe God gave me for this church, he gave me a vision that, that, uh, that we need to emphasize as a church, that church is family. That we are all brothers and sisters. All brothers and sisters. And that's why I refer to us as family all the time. Because I want that to enter in our heads and not leave. Because I believe that is what we are supposed to be. We are supposed to be a family. See, and this is because we want to, as the church, to give people a place to belong. A sense of roots. Like this is where I'm supposed to be. I believe when I walked in this church that this is where God wanted me. And there was many times my own self thought, why? To myself. Because things happen and, and, and people act like babies. And I'm talking about me right now. Because here's the thing is, I'm, I'm a woman, I am going to hurt you at some point in my life. You are going to hurt me at some point in your life. Just inevitable. I mean, my wife's lived with me for 32 years. We have hurt each other a few times over 32 years in our actions or our words. It's hard when you get close. That's why so many people don't want to get close. Because relationships take work. To get to know people takes work. To love people takes work. And we don't want to do that because we just want to pretend we're okay, obviously. Because everybody's okay when you ask them. 
Should we put this little six-foot barrier around us and say, hey, don't come into me. I don't want you to know who I really am. I want to pretend to be something I'm not. I want this to be a place you can be whoever you are. You can be whoever you are and still be loved. Still be accepted. When you, when you have that kind of environment, it meets two basic needs that we have, that every human has. When you have a place to belong, you have a place where you feel as if you are important. And you are important. Each and every one of you is important. When you have somewhere that you feel like you belong, you will feel important. You will feel important. Verses 15 through 19, let's take a, another look at them. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body was an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? You know what I'm not a fan of? It drives me crazy. This does. That when you, kids now, they can go join a soccer league or a football league and everybody gets a trophy. And everybody's a winner. They can play basketball. Everybody on the team wins. But there's one thing I can appreciate about that. See, I'm not a fan of it because I think you kids can learn how to win and lose. Okay, but there's a good thing about it. It emphasizes the value of every single child. See, sometimes children get lost in a shuffle in the sports. Sometimes children don't get looked at because they're not superstars. So they get lost. So it actually shows, shows the value of each child that's in it. See, that's what I like about it. I still think we should compete. And whoever gets the most points should get the trophy at the end of the day. But there's, that's what I think. I think we could show our kids value other ways. But that's the only good thing about it, in my opinion, is that it shows value. You see, but it's a hard to strike a good balance between competition and building up people. But that should be the goal of this, of, uh, the goal And I think all churches should have a goal of building up people. See, actually, we live in that world, by the way. 
See, we live in the world that I just explained that I don't like. That, that competition, we were all competing. We were all losers. We were all lost. We were all losers. But Jesus gave us all a trophy. So as much as I don't like it, there's an aspect to the gospel in there. There's an aspect of the good news that you see, we were all losers, but we all got the trophy. The only difference was we had to realize that we needed the trophy. See, the heart is vital to the human body. The kidneys are vital to the human body. The lungs are vital to the human body. But even so, people should understand that they are vital to God's body and that God loves us. That we should as people know that we are vital. God picked us. You know that. You're not here by accident. And I don't just mean born by accident. You walked into this church today and it wasn't by accident. You could think, oh, I just got up and came to church. But that wasn't it. Because some of you weren't here last week. Today, God wanted you at church because you're here. Nobody was here by accident. See, God wants us. He wants you and me to partner together. He wants you to be a part of this church. He wants you involved in the church. He wants you to function in this church. See, Jesus reaches reach out to people who, by society standards, were losers and made winners out of them. He made winners out of them. That's what I mean. We are actually them people that I don't, I don't just don't like it when I talk about it like that, but I love it when I'm talking about Jesus. Because I didn't deserve to win. I don't know about you. If you think you deserve to win, you're in the wrong place. But I didn't deserve to win. Jesus made us winners. Not because anything that you did, but because everything he did. See, and every one of us has a need to feel appreciated. Every one of us. Every single one of us wants to hear, good job. Or, I want to hear, well done, my good and faithful students. That's what I want to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. That's what, that's what I long to hear one day. I want to serve him, meet him. And hopefully live a life that God says that to me. And I want that for all of you. I want God to be able to say that to you. I want God to say as a church that we served him well. That all we did was lift his name up. We didn't fight about stupid stuff. But we lifted his name up. Notice what 
he, Paul's writes in verses 23 and 25 through 25. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that they may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. I will tell you this. Whatever you expect out of me as your pastor, you should give me. If you expect love and respect and me to choose, I'm going to do that anyway. But what I'm saying is if that's what you expect out of me, you should be doing it too. We're supposed to be working together as a body. See, in the church, there should be healthy a healthy dose of appreciation among members. The senior adults should appreciate the younger folk. And the young people should appreciate the older people. The singles should appreciate the married. And the married should appreciate the singles. And new people should appreciate those who have been members and who have been there a long, longer time. And, but, but also, the people that have been there a long time should really appreciate the new people. And those who carry, are carrying the workload should appreciate those who are developing and those who are developing should appreciate those who, who have been developing. See... And the traditional people, the people like the traditions, should appreciate the people that are contemporary. And the contemporary should appreciate the traditional. Me, I fall in both categories because I like it all. When it comes to traditional contemporary, I like all things about worshiping God. All things about the way people preach God's word. But there's room for both. This is one hard for me. The perfectionist should appreciate those who are laid back. But the laid back people should also appreciate the perfectionist. See, some may think I'm crazy. But this is the vision I have for this church, that we can appreciate and love each other. See, it should be a place, this church should be a place that gives people a home to belong to, a home to belong, and to give people a spiritual family, because this is the church. The people. And my church family gives me love. 
See, in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul deals with a subject that was troubling the Corinthians church. This, this subject was spiritual gifts. That's why he wrote that chapter, by the way, because they were arguing about spiritual gifts. There was division, confusion, and controversy surrounding the subject. And this is what I'm going to tell you, is that some people have more talent and gifts. But do you know what that means? That they have more responsibility. But everybody has a talent. Everybody has a spiritual gift. Not everybody's using it, but everybody has one. But what's funny is that Paul follows up a chapter, the chapter 12, a chapter about controversy with chapter 13. And guess what chapter 13 is? A chapter about love. The underlying premise is love overcomes the, ost- the obstacles that separate us. That's what it does. That's what Paul's going to tell us. Love covers our differences. You know, here, I've always said this. This is what I'm going to tell you. I have ho- open hand theology and closed hands theology. I can talk to you about my open hand theology. We don't have to agree on any of that. We can, we can, we can, this, this, some stuff we'll never know. And I mean never. Even when we die, we're not going to find out. But then there's closed hand stuff. God created the universe. You're not arguing that with me. I believe that God created the universe. It's in the Bible. It's true. Jesus was born of a virgin. Closed hand theology. There's lots of close hands, okay? There's lots of open hand theology. We don't have to fight over it. We can get along. The close hands, it's pretty serious. We need to believe that. That's the core of our beliefs. But the open hand, it's okay to have a bit different theology there. Nobody can understand the Bible 100%. So, so over the years... That's why we have so many denominations, by the way, because they didn't get along. And they go, oh, I don't believe that, so I'm going to go start me a new church. That's why we got so many denominations. There used to be one church back in the day. And I don't mean one church, Catholic church. I mean one church prior to the Catholic church. There was one church. It was Jesus Christ church. One. One church. You see? So, love succeeds when all else fails. Chapter 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned 
but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast, and it is not arrogant. See, love succeeds when prophecy fails. Love succeeds when faith fails. Love succeeds when benevolence fails. Love succeeds when confusion over gifts fails. This is what Paul's saying. You're arguing all of this stuff. Here's what I'm going to tell you. Love wins. That's what he's saying. Love wins. Wins. That's what we're supposed to do. Love each other. We should be looking for ways to love one another. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecy, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. See, love overcomes all of our shortcomings. See, this is how I say this. Ed is patient. He isn't. But this is how you should read this, by the way. Ed is patient and kind. Ed does not envy or boast. But don't put my name in there. Put your name in it. I'm just giving you a heads up. Don't think, don't think this only applies to me. But put your name in this text. Ed is not arrogant or rude. Ed does not insist on it his own way. He is not irritable or resentful. Ed does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but he rejoices with the truth. Ed bears all things. Ed believes all things. Ed hopes all things. Ed endures all things. Ed's love never ends. As for prophecies, they're going to pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. That is how you're supposed to read that text. That's how you should memorize that text. Maybe that will change the way you treat other people. That's what I need to do. Because I don't live that out. Yet that's what the Bible's telling me that real love is. You know what it means to hope all things? It means don't think the worst until you got the facts. A good, a good, a good thing is this, is if, if your significant other comes home late from work and you get mad at them, okay, before you know the facts, you think, you, you hope the best. 
Because if you love like that, you would love like Jesus loves. That's what we need to do. He finishes. For we know in part and we prophesize in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I fought like a child. I reasoned like a child. By the way, we're not children anymore. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in the mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully. Even, even as I have been fully known, so now faith, hope, and love abide. I think faith's pretty, pretty, pretty important. I think hope's pretty important. Because without faith in Christ, we're lost. Without the hope of the resurrection, we're doomed. But Paul writes, out of all three of them, love is the greatest. I mean, we live by faith and hope every single day. We need to start living with love for one another as a church family. And if we can do that, we're going to love this world. And we're going to make heaven fuller because we existed. That is my goal. I want heaven to be fuller because God used me. Not because of anything I did. Because I don't think I'm capable of anything. I know for a fact that all that I do is because God allows me to do it. Not because I'm gifted, but because he is in me. See, our church family provides a team to work with, a family to belong to, and a place to love and be loved. And personally, I think that's worth an investment. I think that's a good, good investment. If you, can, if you can feel like a part of a team and you can feel a part of the family and you can feel love and you can give love, what more is there? What more is there? And that's where we need to belong. And we need to get closer And stop being afraid. If somebody asks you, hey, how are you doing? And you don't feel good that day. If you've had a crappy day. If you're going, I don't even know how I'm going to keep lights on in my house. Tell somebody. Don't hide. Don't pretend. This is a place that we should not have to wear masks. And hide behind them. This is a place where you should feel loved and comfortable. So this week, I want you to reread 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 31. And then I want you to pray because we're praying. We should be anyway. I want you to pray how God wants to use you as part of the body of this church. 
What talents do you have that you can plug in to be a part of this church and get involved? Because we are family. All my brothers and sisters, we are family. Okay, let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that, that, that we are a part of your family. That this church is a small family inside a big family. That one day we're going to meet all of our brothers and sisters from around the world. But I pray that you can grow us stronger in unity. Grow us stronger in our faith. But most of all, God, grow us in our love for one another. Because if we can show people our love, how we love one another, we can love them. They will know you and know who you are. And you are amazing. And you love us even when we're stupid. You love us when we we don't do your will. I know that, God. But help us, I plead with you, to unite as a family and become one. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.